the presidential election in 2024 is probably the most important election in our country's history. You're looking at a Biden-Trump rematch that two-thirds of the country doesn't want. I'm Dave Gardner. I'm running for president. The billionaire class has been taking everything and leaving everybody else to fight for the scraps. You're right to talk about economic growth and restoring that American dream. Gross domestic product has now become a fetish. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your fairy tales of eternal economic growth. We humans have outgrown our planet. Is growth really making us richer or is it making us poorer? We've got to scale back. We need people to reimagine a lifestyle which requires much less energy and material. Didn't Elon Musk actually say one of the biggest issues that we're facing is underpopulation? Let's not be afraid to talk about overpopulation because it is not about taking rights away from people. It is about giving opportunities to women, children, and future generations. I'm Dave Gardner, independent candidate for President of the United States, and this is the podcast that chronicles my campaign for a president. Welcome to Dave the Planet. We've got a planet to save, and the U.S. really needs to do its part. You can learn more and follow my campaign at DaveThePlanet2024.com. And I am joined today by Chris Beistroff. Hi. Should I introduce myself? <laughs> Go ahead. I'm I'm a biology professor at an upstate university. I teach a course called Human Population, and I'm a big fan of Dave Gardner, Dave for President. So I have some questions for you, Dave. If you're going to be president, you're going to have to deal with international incidents such as the one that happened recently. The people of Palestine, oppressed for many years, finally couldn't take it anymore, bulldozed a hole in the huge wall that surrounds their territory, and sent some very well-armed and well-equipped and apparently even pretty well-trained uh, soldiers into Israel and run amok. And uh, it looks like the death toll is in the thousands. Lots of dialogue has been going on about this, on, and you have supporters on both sides. As president, if this happened in your tenure, what's the first thing you're going to say when you're put in front of the camera? Well, thanks for challenging me like that. The first thing I'm going to say is that there is never any justification for the, uh, the cruel uh, torture, kidnapping, raping, and killing of innocent women, children, and, and even men. Uh, that is just completely inexcusable. And uh, Hamas is considered a terrorist organization, and there's, there's just no justification uh, for what Hamas has done. And uh, of course, the world has largely uh, echoed this uh, outrage and support for Israel. Uh, you know, the Jews have been uh, persecuted for <laughs> thousands of years, and uh, peace in the Middle East is evasive, and I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how we will ever get peace in the Middle East because there are uh, problems with uh, the behavior, everyone's behavior. No one has behaved perfectly in that region, so it's a struggle. Um, but I wanna, what I want to say specifically related to my campaign, Chris, is that uh, I think it's really important that whoever our leader is, that leader needs to know what he or she doesn't know. Uh, the most dangerous thing we could have is a leader who just 
has some knee-jerk reaction and thinks that he knows what to do. And I'm thinking in particular of what's-his-name, who has said, this would never have happened if I was president. And of course, he doesn't have anything to back that up. Um, no, but I, that would scare me to death to have him in charge. No, yeah, I, no, I'm just agreeing with you wholeheartedly. You really have to be, uh, uh, you know, honest and humble, and and not let people know what you know and what you don't know. And at the same time, I think you started the message off right that you have to be uh, compassionate uh, with the people who have suffered, without telling them that you know everything, and without the call to action and to you know go fight back and you know, blow for blow. You don't have to say that. And, and you know, I have to praise Biden for his reaction. He's been the adult in the room over there. And uh, I think has gotten a lot of kudos for the way that he handled this uh, very tense situation with compassion. So I, I think what you could add, perhaps, is something having to do with an understanding of uh, where this kind of conflict arises. I think what uh, many people do is jump right to uh, what are the solutions. As a scientist, I know you don't do that in science. You don't say, here's data, here's the solution. No. The second step is to interpret the data and try to look at the origins. And we here, when I say data, I, I'm referring to news. I'm referring to the all the uh, the current event, but also all the previous events uh, between these two peoples that are trying to occupy the same land between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. There's a long history there. What is it telling us? What does it tell us that it's never it, it been solved? It's a, it doesn't well, look like it has a possibility of being solved right now. Partly it tells us that uh, religion is uh, an incredibly powerful force in human civilization. Right. And, um, you know, and sides. so, yeah, yeah. So that's a real, that's a, a tough one right there. You know, wondering whether we'll be able to, in, in that region of the world, overcome the most extreme beliefs that are religiously driven. You know, as I understand it, uh, the Hamas organization, you know, they just want to eradicate every Jew. And I'm not sure it's because of the way they've been treated. I think it's more its more fundamental than that. But kind of like I started to say, I, I, I don't really know for sure. And um, I think if someone's thinking about voting for Dave Gardner for president, of the United States, of course, they want to know that he's not going to be a kook like one recent president in history was. So in the areas where I don't know a lot, and I'll, I'll say right here, I think I have a fair amount of experience and knowledge and expertise on areas of sustainability, overpopulation, overconsumption, uh, our obsession with economic growth. Um, uh, those areas I'm pretty comfortable with, but a lot of things about, about foreign policy, I would have to turn to experts, and I would make sure that we had uh, solid expertise in the in the West Wing, and I would listen to those experts and the advice of those experts. I might not always agree with everything those experts are going to say, because you know, Chris, part of what I want to do is kind of turn things upside down in Washington, D.C., and not keep on doing things the way we used to do them. But that doesn't mean uh, plunge us into war necessarily. Well, I'm glad it doesn't mean plunge us into war. And I, and I, I did read you, what you've uh, posted for your policies for foreign relations. And you've said, 
that uh, it's important to have seasoned diplomats that know what's going on, uh, that you know have been there, have worked in on the ground, and have continuity with that. And I think that uh, should alleviate any fears that you're going to upend foreign policy. <laughs> I'm not going to spend a lot of my campaign talking about the things that I don't know a lot about. And this would be one of those. But, you know, globalization has created a lot of the problems that we have. Uh, you know, the, the global economy is very wasteful and very energy intensive. And we've got to relocalize our economy and our consumption so that we're not uh, flying products and shipping products around the world nearly as much as we have been. But being a good global citizen, uh, would be important to me. So I'm not proposing an isolationism kind of approach, maybe a little bit more economic isolation, but definitely not uh, otherwise. In fact, I really think that uh, we could improve the way the world works if, if there was a good solid understanding around the world that all of the nations of the world would immediately come to the aid of any nation that's invaded. If yeah. any other nation invades, you know, and violates a, a country's borders, it needs to be really clear that we're just not going to stand for that and we will come to the aid of that nation. But it needs to be also understood that we're not going to fight wars over resources. A lot of our problem of the U.S.'s reputational issues in the Middle East, I think, is because we've been so obsessed with protecting that oil, which so isn't even our oil. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm, I'm glad to hear you uh, calling for a, a good, solid understanding of the, the, the facts on the ground and, uh, and going back to the conflict in Gaza and, and Israel. Let's talk about something you do know something about, and that is population growth. Just a little bit of history here. When uh, Ben-Gurion, the first leader of Israel, took over was in the late 40s, he estimated that maybe two and a half million Jews could live in that area between the Mediterranean and the Jordan. And now there is currently 12 million people living there. And uh, if you look at how that happened, and you, you mentioned the religion, the Jews are divided between the Orthodox and the Reformed, and the Orthodox Jews are having on the order of eight to 10 children per mother. Palestinians are fighting essentially baby wars, having also the same number of children per woman, and the growth has been exponential on both sides. So let's talk about how population, massive population growth on a finite country led to the, the conflict that we're seeing today. It's just aside from the, the religious beliefs, just, just the sheer number of people on this not very fertile crescent there in the Middle East. Well, I think anytime, I mean, it's pretty dense population. Uh, you've got that kind of, uh, of population density and you've got uh, the scarcity of water and food. Uh, you know, they have to import an awful lot of their staple food items into that region. Uh, they're not anywhere close to self-sufficient. And so there's a lot of poverty and they really depend are dependent on uh, importing aid. Those are stressors. Oh, and the water water's just crazy. Not enough water. That's a big stressor. You pack all those people in and you uh, have a resource scarcity. It's just a tinderbox waiting for a spark. And I think, you know, there are a number of places where wars are being fought over uh, oil, water, and food. Most conflicts have some basis in some 
scarcity or shortage of, of those. So and I know you've done some math and you think population may have just peaked or may be peaking right now. And I hope you're right. But a lot of experts think that it's going to be another decade or two or three or four before world population peaks. And if that's really the case, then, um, you know, the resource scarcity is going to become a, a bigger challenge. And, you know, the world's full. And uh, it used to be when the world wasn't full, if the people of a land couldn't grow all the food they needed, then they could make a deal with a neighbor or some other nation somewhere around the world and buy some of their food. And they, were, they could find willing sellers. But now we have a full planet. And I think there are fewer and fewer willing sellers. And there will, if not now, very soon, there will not be any willing sellers. Uh, yeah. And I think that's a recipe for a lot more conflict. Okay, so now we've stated the problem. We've, we've understood the, the background behind it. And now looking again at the conflict area, if you know that population growth is the cause of the conflict, let's start with, is it possible to do something about population growth in the Middle East? That's a very, I don't expect that you or anyone has a good answer to that question. I'm just thinking it's the natural question. I suppose so, but it's always, um, you know, we've gotten in a fair amount of trouble for presuming that we have the answers and that we should impose our solutions on somebody else. It's always nice to have people who want help. If you want to lend help to somebody and they want help, things always go a lot, a lot better than that. Um, I actually, I, I really like that as the answer. And you're right to point out that um, countries don't really want you imposing their answer to it, especially if, it, if you're going to dictate them to decrease their population somehow. I don't think that would go over very well. But if you have open arms and say, when you need help, we're here for you that never goes over poorly. Maybe that's the right posture to take, not to dictate what they should do. In the end, then natural forces will tell uh, Israel and Palestine what to do. And I think what we know is that those are going to be uh, pushing them more and more toward war. And if that's the way it goes, natural forces alone will cause the population to go down. That's true. But, you know, Chris, I think part of the reason we're uh, struggling with this solution for this uh, for this group of people and where we shouldn't be, there should be a lot more, a lot better overshoot and overpopulation literacy around the world. It should be really clear uh, to anybody who's engaged in some kind of competition for population growth that that's a battle to the to the bottom, that that is not going to result in a bright future for their own children. But it's not as obvious as it ought to be, and that's because we have got this, you know, recent history of the last 30 years anyway, where we've had this population taboo and we've been brushing this subject under the table. People have been afraid to talk openly and honestly and candidly about, uh, you know, about the fact that there are limits to the a population that the planet can support and that there are things we can do, very uh, humane, compassionate, voluntary things we can do to uh, to ensure a bright future for our kids. No one has to die. No one has to legislate 
family size. Uh, we just need to, uh, you know, make it possible for couples around the world to make well-informed, well-considered decisions about family size. Well, they can't be well-informed if everybody's afraid to talk about the fact that, guess what? If we all want good lives on this planet, we really need to have about, about give or take, 2 billion people and instead that's of why the 8 I billion we have today. Exactly. And that's why I, I support this campaign so much is that the taboo on population is the, what do you call it, the, the, the obstacle to getting anything done. And your campaign is breaking that taboo uh, and getting the conversation started. I do not have any illusions that we're going to be able to tell uh, the Palestinian people that they have to control their population. I, this book is helping dispel this is a very good book by the way and i recommend it first chapter of it tells you the strong degree to which the religion drives them to have larger and larger families and the conflict also says it explains that the constant conflict in the region is driving them to have larger families because your family are the people that you can trust and larger families means that you have more power so we're not going to successfully dictate to them. But I do believe if we get over this taboo and we get this conversation uh, to permeate, others might be able to get through. And uh, they might be the last people to be won over, but uh, eventually uh, something will happen. Probably before any major behavioral changes happen there, uh, there's going to be a massive war. And uh, maybe that's going to teach a lesson to others, but uh, they will that's not. That's pretty sad. Yeah, but I'm glad you have that book handy there. That's Countdown by Alan Weissman, a really great journalist, uh, published in 2013. I went back and reread that first chapter uh, yesterday, Chris, and it is, uh, it's very detailed and it's very depressing. Picture of that region, of the resource issues in that region, and the really, I'm just going to come out and say it, the, the insane uh, <laughs> population competition. Yeah. But is Very is sad. money is money the the secret to happiness? You can be poor and you can still be happy. So it's it's not just that that uh, this that they're driving themselves because I think one of the things you're alluding to is that the the massive population density has led to massive poverty in Israel among the Hasidic Jews and also among the Gaza Palestinians. But I think uh, you you sent me a. A short article that suggested that money is not the secret to happiness, that you can be very happy without it. <laughs> what a great segue, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I was just catching up on uh, my reading over the weekend. And uh, so this was a, a few weeks ago from a Harrop's syndicated column, I thought was just really in sync with what we're talking about in this campaign. And it was headlined in my local paper, Money Isn't the Only Way to Measure the Good Life. Uh, the syndicated headline was, was it's really not all about money. And uh, we'll put a link in the, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, we'll put a link in the description. If you're listening to the Dave the Planet podcast on your podcast app, we'll put a link in the show notes. But, uh, but Froma wrote about a frugal young couple who are happy as clams. They buy clothes at thrift shops, drive a 22-year-old Honda Accord, and they work out not at a health club, but in their garage. And um, after describing their very happy lifestyle, she wrote, now switch over to stories of Americans concerned that their children might not be better off financially 
than they are. If the family were living on the edge of starvation, then sure, that might be something to worry about. But the surveys show that once your uh, basic needs are met, more money doesn't make you happy, as, as you alluded to. So Froma asks what no one ever asks, Chris. She says, so what if our kids aren't going to be materially better off than we are? Yeah. And that's exactly. one thing I really want to push against is this assumption that every generation has to be better off. And in fact, you have to be materially better off next year than you right. are this year. It's almost sacrilege to say, you know, so what to that question. We've been ingrained with it. This is the, the, the American dream that you're talking about and that she's talking about in that yeah. article. We have our own way of uh, hyper exponentially growing our impact on the planet. And it's not, it's not by having eight to 10 children per woman. It's by having more and more materials as each generation passes. Yeah, and mathematically, that's really kind of the same. Exactly. <laughs> either way, yeah, They're either way, you, you, yeah, you grow your footprint. And, you know, if you think, just stop and think about it. If we're all earning more money each year, which means we're spending more money, and earning money and spending money, that largely drives your footprint. Uh, and if each generation is earning more money and spending more money year over year or generation over generation, that is growth of consumption. Yep. That is economic growth. That's an ever-expanding footprint. And when we are already in an overshoot emergency, we are already living as, uh, you know, we're putting more pressure on the planet than uh, more than two planets worth of pressure. It would take more than two Earths to sustainably meet all of our needs and the needs of the other life on Earth that we're busy killing off. So when you think about that, that's just that's not an American dream. That's an American nightmare. And so we've got to part of uh, our national overshoot project that I'll launch once I'm elected president is that we're going to redefine the American dream. We're going to get back in touch with the things that really matter in life. And there are things that don't have such a big footprint. Yeah. The American dream is dead or maybe better off. We would say, uh, stop America dreaming. Stop American dreaming. <laughs> Wake up. Wake up. Yeah. And uh, real quick, before we wrap, there's one more thing, Chris, that I'd really love to talk about a little bit. I watched Liz Cheney. Do, she did her first interview in about a year on uh, CNN's State of the Union on Sunday, October 22nd. And I was really struck by how incredibly honest she was. She didn't hesitate to answer uh, that she respected, you know, certain things about that Biden was doing, even though she's clearly a Republican. And so many Republicans today, pretty much everyone in the among the policymakers, they won't dare say something honestly nice about any little thing that they might think that the administration is doing well, with some exceptions. They won't because they're all about the spin. They're all about making sure that uh, that they can win more votes in the next election than their, their their opponents. And so they, they're they not authentic. They won't tell the truth. And Liz Cheney, uh, when she was asked what she was going to be doing for the next year, she said that she was going to be working hard to make sure that serious, sane people are elected. And Jake Tapper asked whether they're Republican or Democrat. And she said, yeah. And that was just so refreshingly honest. Now, I've got to say, Chris, that I'm not a fan of Liz Cheney's politics. She's pretty darn conservative. But I am a big fan of her values. 
And she also mentioned people accepting behavior that they never would have accepted before. Right. And I think that's what we're seeing for the last seven years, roughly. That's what's been going on. Yeah. You know who, you know who made it okay mm -hmm. to be a cheat, made it okay to be a philanderer, made it okay to be dishonest, uh, made it okay to be greedy and to not be compassionate, and at least made it okay among a, you know, a significant segment of society. And oh, we yeah. have got to, we've got to return to expecting the best of ourselves. But it's and still, that is it's not, still not okay among uh, the majority of us. But isn't it a shocker to see that somebody who's now been indicted, is it four times? I'm losing count, including uh, one case of molestation, is polling above Biden in some of these polls, 52%. Isn't it unbelievable that that's true? Yeah, it's, it's, it is pretty shocking. I mean, yeah. I would say unbelievable. I, I, I'm offended. <laughs> <laughs> I'm offended by the behavior of what's his name, and I am just as offended by the number of people who aren't offended by that behavior today. I'm, I'm more than offended. I'm suspicious. What I, do you mean? I don't believe those numbers. I have a very hard time believing 52% would really vote for Donald Trump. Well, I hope you're right. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of thinking they ultimately won't have a chance to. They might vote for him in the primary, but I'm hopeful that the GOP will decide that they don't really want to run, you know, somebody who's wearing a jumpsuit in prison as their presidential candidate. They probably don't care. <laughs> they, they just want their man in, you know, and, and to have control. But uh, I don't know. Another, There's hope, you know. Jim Jim Jordan isn't uh, Speaker of the House, so that gives right. me gives me hope. I just uh, maybe in another podcast we can talk about where these poll numbers come from, because uh, some people who are tracking how they do polls are finding out that the the pollsters are are changing the the bar, or, you know, moving the goalposts when they do these polls, and they no longer really match what people really think. Um, well, it's too long a topic to start on right now. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you're never short on good ideas of things to talk about. So hopefully we'll have time to uh, to dig into all these things and have some interesting conversations about it. So thanks, Chris. Real quick report on the campaign maybe would be in order. Chris, growing exponentially. Yep, but it's sort of at the beginning of that uh, right. of that curve. Well, and we need to grow exponentially because we basically got about 10 months to set the world on fire so that we have the volunteers and the financial resources to get on the state ballots. Uh, if we don't, if we haven't grown by next August, then we may find ourselves in a position where I have to withdraw from the race uh, in order to make darn sure that what's-his-name isn't elected. We'll see. We'll keep our eye on those poll numbers that, Chris, that you don't want to trust. We may not have anything else to trust, but we really need to grow exponentially. So uh, if you're watching or listening to this, this means that you're a trendsetter. You're early on in discovering this great campaign, and we are relying on you to help us with that exponential growth by sharing this with five of your colleagues or friends so that then each of those five people can share it with five people. And before you know it, We'll have thousands of people following so, us, and hopefully some of them will be making some donations mm -hmm. because we need a little bit of money in our coffers so that we can do some advertising and get the word out a little better. So go to DaveThePlanet2024.com, make a donation, no amount too small, 
sign up to help volunteer with a campaign and we can get some exponential mm-hmm. growth or even maybe hyper exponential growth. That's where you, <laughs> you, you even shorten the doubling time as time goes on. And we can see this. And let's make one thing clear. Don't worry about this so-called spoiler effect. It's all going to end up in a two-person race at the end. But any kind of influence that Dave Gardner can get in this race, in this campaign, is going to spread a very important message. Well, thanks for that, Chris. But I am dedicated to trying to make sure that I'm in the two-person race because otherwise I'm afraid it's going to be a dead planet. So we're going to give it our all. So thanks for listening or watching. Um, Please follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And please share this episode or the entire podcast series with your friends, family, colleagues, your elected representatives, journalists, students. And don't forget to check out my campaign at DaveThePlanet2024.com. Thank you.